You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Thank you very much indeed. It is a privilege to be here this morning. Um, I will say that uh, Pastor Trent in the short video there didn't, didn't mention he had a little bit of a difficulty finding someone to, to preach this morning. He was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, I guess, and and so he, and he thought, hey, Cedarville University is not that far away. I mean, it's a school that puts the Bible first, and surely they've got somebody. So he called over there, and he said, what I need is the best preacher at Cedarville University. And he called him, and he said no. And so he said, okay, well, then what I need is the best Bible teacher at Cedarville University. And he called him, and he said no. And so he said, okay, well, then I'll just, I need the best evangelist speaker at Cedarville University. And he called him, and he said no, and then he called me, and I said yes, <laughs> mainly because I couldn't tell him no four times. Some of you will get that later. Yeah, that's okay. Lunchtime or something, you go, oh, I know what he meant now. That's okay. It's great. If you have your Bible, if you'll take it and turn to Matthew chapter 10, we'll look there in just a moment. What a, what a great time of worship together. Micah does a great job of just bringing things together in worship. I hope you can appreciate the skill of that. It, the way he intertwined the, the text of Scripture with that song that we sang together in Psalm 51 and the song, what a great talent, what a great gift, a, a remarkable skill. Now, I would think with all of that skill that he could learn to tie his shoes, but, but that's okay. I, I think that's, you know, you work on one thing at a time, and, you know, certain skills are harder than others, and so, no, but what a great job of worship. What we heard in that, one of the songs that we sang, we talked about from our worship coming from our heart, sort of filling our heart, and then as our hearts are then lifted up and praise the Lord, our, our worship has started and our hearts being stirred toward the things of God, and if you would, a passion and desire for the things of God comes up in our heart, and from there, then we, we sing or we speak, we praise, right? And so there's a, you've been there, you, you, you've had that where there's just an overwhelming sense of joy and a, a sweetness, a thankfulness for the grace of God, and from your heart, the praise erupts. But you also may have heard in the psalm that we read, read together, Psalm 51, was, the psalmist had a prayer that I thought was interesting. He says, Lord, open my lips, and then my mouth will speak your praise. You see, sometimes it, it's in our hearts. There's something in our hearts. God is at work in our hearts, but yet it, it doesn't come out. There, there's something, there's maybe, maybe some sort of awkwardness, or maybe it's a sense of guilt and we don't want to say anything, or there's a variety of reasons, but we're silent in speaking the praise of Christ. And so the psalmist prays there, Lord, open my lips and then I will speak. In our text this morning in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to see that Jesus also deals with the silence of his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 16, and we'll read down through verse 28. It's a longer text, but we'll read it together. And as we do so, I want us to be thinking together about this instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples about a fear that silences Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I will send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. 
and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of the Father who speaks through you. Brother will betray brother to death. A father his child, and a child will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. And whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of the household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. For what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, shout it from the rooftops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and and soul in hell. Here Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples, his disciples who he's just been sending out. So they've been going out to various places, and he's sending them out, if you want, on a missionary journey, a, a commission, if you would. And as he sends them out, he's wanting them to have realistic instructions of what they're going to face. But as we read through this chapter, Matthew chapter 10, we click, quickly see that Jesus is moving beyond just the instructions to those original disciples. He begins to talk about, if you would, things that are going to happen much more in the future. So these instructions are not just for these original 12, but for all the disciples who will come after him and will be given a similar mission, speaking the name of Jesus. So Jesus describes this mission with a, a powerful word image. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That never works real well for the sheep, right? I mean, sheep among wolves. We know what happens there. Now, there's other passages in Scripture that talk about the sheep and the shepherd, and those are usually much more comforting. You know, the Lord is our shepherd, and, and we have, we're the sheep. He cares for us. He's the good shepherd. But here, we are sheep sent out among the wolves. So from the very beginning of this text, as we walk through it, we'll see that Jesus is trying to give a warning to his followers, that if you're walking with me and you're going to speak my name, you need to be prepared that that's going to create some opposition. We use the term persecution that you will face because of my name. In verse 17, he begins to talk about this persecution that comes from strangers, and there's, there's two types that he mentions. Notice in verse 17, it says, but beware of men. For they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. You see, there's a religious persecution that Jesus' followers will face. It wouldn't take us long today in our current society to understand what this could look like. This could look like those who are living in northern India today. 
who are being persecuted as believers in Christ. They're being persecuted by radical Hindus who are wanting them, because of the name of Christ, to be quiet or to be run out or even killed. They're believers, churches, and villages in sub-Saharan Africa today that are being persecuted by their Muslim neighbors because of the name of Christ. You see, religious persecution comes when one claim for the truth or one claim as the way to the Father, to God, which is through Jesus Christ. When that one claim comes against other religious claims, there is opposition and oftentimes persecution. So Jesus is warning. We could see it back in the early church, right? If you read in the book of Acts, we find that very quickly the disciples of Christ are coming against persecution by other religious groups, particularly the Jews, who are opposing them and even to the point of what? Stoning them, right? So there's religious persecution that they'll face, and that obviously is bad, and there's, in verse 18, another one. Notice it there, the second persecution. You'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. So besides religious persecution, there's also political persecution. Again, modern society, not hard to imagine this. There are are believers on the Korean peninsula today. If they were to speak the name of Christ in a public area, those in North Korea could be imprisoned. Goods could be confiscated. They could be beaten, tortured, and perhaps even to death. But other government officials around them. We've heard story, many stories over the years of Chinese believers who have tried to speak the name of Christ and local officials have persecuted them for that. We can even imagine in our scenarios today where religious and political persecution could be much more close to home. Jesus is warning His disciples of the reality of persecution. Now, as I'm getting into this, you're probably thinking, this is like the most depressing message I've ever heard. And and that's even with a primary this week. (laughs) Those are pretty depressing messages as well. But uh, you're like, this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. And you're right. It is a very difficult message. Jesus is not saying, hey, but hang in there, it'll be fine. This is a hard message. And so as he's warning his disciples, he's telling them, he's trying to be, if you would, upfront with them about the nature of following him. And this is important. If you're considering Christianity today, if you're an unbeliever, and you're, you're, but you've been considering it, and you're here among these people because you, you, you're something here that you, you know is different and something perhaps that you need, and you're considering it, let me, let me be very honest with you. There's a difficulty that comes with Christianity. Christ calls you to come and die. To come and die doesn't mean come and add more life. It means to come and die. But then, of course, He then gives life abundantly in the midst of that self-sacrifice. And so Jesus is warning His disciples about political and religious persecution that is going to come from strangers, but he also gives them the purpose. The suffering, the struggle, this opposition is not without a purpose. So it's very important, even if we recognize the severity of the situation, that we also see that there's a purpose here. Notice at the end of verse 18. 
It says that they'll brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that I'm going to put you in a situation that you know is going to be at risk for you. And, and you realize that in that moment, you're going to be risking career. You're going to be risking relationships. You may be thinking, yeah, if, if I say something about Christ here, I may lose my job. Or if, I, if I'm going to say something about Christ here, I might lose this relationship, and I've been cultivating this for the sake of my, for a, a big sale, or, or maybe I've been trying to get to know this person and, and, and try to get connected with them, and now if I say something about Jesus, I may lose that. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to put you in situations. My name, the gospel, is going to put you in situations where there is direct opposition, and it's so that you might give testimony there. This is my plan, Jesus says, to make sure those governors and kings and that particular religious group hears my message. Of course, a great example of this in the Bible it's in the book of Acts when Stephen, you remember Stephen in the book of Acts? And, and as he's being persecuted, religious persecution, and even as he is being stoned because of his faith, he is still giving testimony to Jesus Christ. He's still giving testimony in the midst of that persecution to Jesus Christ. And over to the side, there's this guy holding everyone's coats. What's that guy's name? Saul. And he later becomes what? The Apostle Paul, who then takes the gospel to multiple, multiple cities of the Gentiles. You see, Paul heard a testimony about Jesus Christ that came in the midst of an intense moment of persecution, even martyrdom. And Jesus is saying, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to put you in that moment that's going to be at great risk to you, maybe to life, to goods, maybe to job, maybe to relationships, but it's going to be at risk to you. And the purpose of that is so that that other person can hear the testimony of my name. Well, when we face persecution, we're given this moment. Sometimes we don't actually give that testimony, right? Sometimes the, the opposition causes a fear to well up in us. We, we begin to count the cost and try to consider what's at stake here, and we make this decision, usually in just a quick moment, we make the decision that the risk is too great. And so I'll be silent. A fear that silences us. Sometimes that fear comes from the, this, the starkness, the immediacy of this persecution. We weren't expecting it. And so Jesus is trying to prepare us here. Be prepared. There is going to come persecution. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. Don't be caught off guard. Be anticipating it. Well, there may be another reason. Notice what it says in verse 19. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in you. Sometimes we, the fear of what's at risk causes us to be silent. 
At other times, it's a fear of not knowing exactly what to say. We, we think, well, I, I may mess this up. I'm, I'm still kind of new. I'm still learning stuff. And, you know, I may like say something and get them to ask Moses into their heart or something and completely blow this thing. What if I start this conversation and I don't, I mean, they ask a question that I don't know. Sometimes it's the fear of the opposition and sometimes it's the fear of the awkwardness or the unknown that silences. But Jesus says here, but, but don't worry about how or what you were to say. Now, when I was younger, I used to think what this meant was that I would be given a moment and then I would have a chance to give testimony and then all of a sudden, like, I'd be like completely blank and then the Spirit would just, like, give me words I've never heard before. And I would just say stuff. But that's not exactly what Jesus means here. What, what he means by that the Spirit will speak through you is that his disciples had been hearing Jesus' teaching for months and years by this point. And, and they've listened to him, and they've meditated on those words, and that at the moment where they are being persecuted, and now they are given an opportunity to give testimony, that the Spirit will bring to their mind the things that they have heard and have meditated on so that they can speak them boldly. So what this means for us is that what we're doing is we're reading the Word, and we're filling our mind with the Word, and we're memorizing the Word, and we're meditating on the Word, and we're hearing the Word preached, and we're singing the Word in worship, and it's saturating our minds so that in that moment, I didn't have to have a prepared speech. In that moment, the Holy Spirit of God is able to recall to our memory the things that we've been studying in His Word, and we're able to speak with a power and a conviction that comes from the Spirit through the Word itself. That's what God will do for us in that moment as we speak. Maybe some of you here and a small group setting this week or in a conversation this week, you, you could give a testimony to someone of when that's happened to you. Where you started talking to someone about your faith and incredibly nervous about it, not knowing what to say, but all of a sudden things that you'd heard in a Bible study class or in a sermon or things that you'd been reading in the Word, your personal quiet time, came to mind and you were able to share them. People were able to hear the truth of God's Word. Jesus recognizes that this fear Fear of the persecution, what we're facing, or maybe fear of the unknown can lead to silence. But then there's another situation that he describes, beginning in verse 21, that also creates a fear that could silence. And this is not so much persecution from strangers, but maybe separation from family or friends. Notice what he says in verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. To death. Brother will betray brother to death. So Jesus, I mean, we skip right ahead. This is not just brother will like elbow the brother at the table, right? I mean, this is not kind of just a sibling rivalry. This is not like, you know, like the time where I try to encourage my brother to take out this young lady. I've noticed, I said, man, she, she's a godly young lady. She's, she's a great, I think you ought to try to take her out on a date. A couple weeks later, he didn't do it, so I did. And so we've been married 23-something years there. But <laughs> see, that was, that was not necessarily a great brother moment. But I will say this. I will say this, it's not like this. Brother will betray brother to death. To death. And then it says that a father, his child. Parents, can you imagine? There's some scenario where you would turn your child over to be killed. 
But Jesus says that's the nature of the gospel. The gospel is such a powerful message that it will bring people into the kingdom. Those who have yet to believe can have their sins forgiven and new life can, can, can come from the message of the gospel as the Spirit works in us. But it also is such a powerful message that it will divide families and friends. It says here that children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. See, this is the nature, the divisiveness of the gospel. Some of us know this in our personal experience. Perhaps, perhaps you're a high school student, and you remember maybe like a freshman or sophomore year, and you, know, you had a relationship with a friend, and, and, and you were both kind of just interested in the Lord, but then as you've gotten on into junior, senior year, and you're growing more and more in the Lord, they're less and less interested. And so the relationship has become more separate. Perhaps you know this in your family. Perhaps you have adult children, and they were raised in the faith. And through their high school years, there was a a little bit of a moment of coldness that would show up every now and then to the things of the gospel. And then they went off to college and they walked away from the faith. And now there's a, there's a distance to the relationship. There's a separation that's there. The gospel can create division. Because it's such a powerful message and it requires us to give all of ourselves to it. Then that means we have to be all in for in the gospel. And also, it means that those who are hearing the message of the gospel, after a while, they recognize the compelling, the, the appeal, the call of the gospel, and they've got to do something with it. And it's either all in or it's I'm out and I'm backing away. And that separation, that distance, and these close relationships, these close friendships are, within our family can oftentimes cause us to be silent. You see, I don't, I don't want to bring that up because, I mean, we're already a little bit strained in our friendship. And if I, if I bring up Jesus, they might not want to hang out at all anymore. Right? If I, if I bring that up, he, he's already told me, Mom, Dad... When, when I come home, when I visit, I don't want to hear any more about Jesus. If you guys keep talking about that when I come home to visit, I, I'm not sure I'm going to come anymore. And, and I'm afraid that if I say something about Jesus, that I'm going to lose this relationship. And that fear, the loss of the relationship, that separation, can cause us to be silent. Jesus says, Verse 22, notice the emotion here. You will be hated by all because of my name. Simply, the name of Christ is so powerful. The name of Christ that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That powerful name stirs such strength, serves such passions. Those passions can either be love and surrender or it can be hatred because of the name. 
Again, we can understand kind of how this works. Jesus' name references something else about his message, his lordship, his power, and that's what's being rejected. I grew up on the Gulf Coast, and when you grow up and you're born in Alabama at at birth, your parents choose for you Alabama or Auburn. And so, (laughs) thankfully, they chose Alabama for me. But uh, so, so, you know, you're, you're, you're destined that way. And so, um, when we've moved to Ohio, um, there's been some awkward moments. I don't know if you've noticed the whole national championship, Ohio State and then Alabama thing. And so, uh, there's some animosity at times, especially I'm thinking, I have six kids, my, my, my sixth grader, it, it probably comes the fact that, you know, probably three out of five days a week he wears an Alabama shirt. Um, that could be it. But it's just simply, you know, him wearing the name Alabama on his shirt that can create some little bit of conflict. I'll just leave it that way. Some remarks. It's simply the name can stir up some strong emotions. Eh, that's just sports. That's just football. Jesus is a powerful name, and it stirs great emotion. And that emotion can be described here in verse 22 by those who are in opposition as hate. Jesus says, that hate will be pointed to you. You will be hated because of my name. I want to skip down to verse 24 because Jesus here also gives us a warning. He gives us a warning not just about persecution that comes from strangers, and separation that might come from friends and family, but it also talks about a mockery, that we will be mocked like he was. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his master, a teacher, excuse me, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for a disciple that he becomes like his teacher and the slave like a master. And they've called the head of the household Beelzebul, which is the, the devil. How much more will they malign the members of the household? Jesus says, basically, that they mocked him, so what do you think is going to happen to you? They're going to mock you as well, because you belong to him. That's how the world responded to him. They mocked him, the head of the household, so those of us who are members of his household will be maligned as well. What Jesus is talking about here is not about a persecution, per se, of the threat of imprisonment, torture, martyrdom. He's just simply talking about an insult, being maligned, being criticized. When I read through this, one thing that really challenges me, oftentimes it's not the threat of political or religious persecution that silences me. Oftentimes it's not the the risk of losing a family member or close friend over the gospel that silences me. Oftentimes, all that it takes to silence me is that someone may make fun of me. Someone might think, well, this is awkward. Or, you're not very cool. Well, of course I'm not cool. I'm a professor. But, but, but I can't get over that sometimes. And in that moment... In that moment, I stop speaking about the name of Christ simply because I'm afraid of what they will say. I'm afraid to say anything because they might say something back to me. 
How about you? What does it take to silence you? See, this fear, Jesus says, can come simply from insults, being maligned, being criticized. What this means is he's preparing his disciples that when we speak the name of Christ in the public, in the public square, in, in the public spaces, that people are going to not like that message and they're going to speak against it. Be ready. And it's oftentimes that, that potential awkwardness that silences us even in personal conversation, not in a public sphere, a, a speaking in a public way, but, but in personal, private conversation. It's often that's the reason that my coworker who is in the desk next to me, and, and I, I have this real conviction to share within the gospel, but I don't want to do it, not just because I'm afraid of some kind of reprimand. I'm not necessarily afraid I'm going to be fired. I'm just afraid that they'll be like, what? Why are you talking about this? Look, man, no more Jesus stuff, all right? I'm afraid that they're going to go, are you religious or something? And that, just that, that question, that mockery in their voice is enough. It, not that I actually heard that, but just the potential of it, right? Or that the reason I'm sitting next to this guy on the airplane, and we've got this flight together, and we're talking about business here at the beginning, and I could simply get into the, the cause of Christ, the, the name of Christ. I could talk about the gospel with him. But I don't want to do it because I'm afraid that it is layover, He's sitting next to somebody else, and he's like, man, that last dude was like some kind of Jesus freak. That insult, potential insult, the fear of that is enough to silence me. Jesus is aware of these things that can create fears that silence. You see, again, I just hit you, I'm thinking about my own struggle I'm not always afraid of persecution. I have a PhD in theology. I'm not afraid of what to say, but still I'm silent. And a lot of times it's this last one. It's because I'm afraid of the insults, the awkwardness. Jesus, in verse 26, begins to unfold for us a little bit of the answer. He says, therefore, do not fear them. So he's, he's giving a challenge toward not fear, and he's going to give the reason in just a moment. For there is nothing concealed that will not be healed, hit, revealed or hidden that will not be known. He's saying everything that happens on this, in this earth is under the awareness of God. God sees every conversation. God knows what's going on. We cannot be mistreated without God being aware and involved with us. Verse 27, for what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. Now Jesus Jesus didn't speak in darkness. He, he went out in the synagogues. He spoke on the hillside. So he's using a metaphor here. He said, in comparison to the message you're hearing here, darkness, make sure it spreads out like the light. Or as he says, as you hear it whispered in your ear, proclaim it, shout it from the housetops. So Jesus is telling us to take the message that we hear from him in the word and turn up the volume so that more can hear. How's that going to happen? Jesus has just listed out for, for 12, 14 verses here reasons why not to do that. Why this fear could silence us. Why can he now say, but I need you to turn up the volume. I need you to be fearless in speaking. Verse 28 gives the reason. 
He says this, Do not fear those who kill the, the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Jesus' solution to the fear that can silence is not to not have fear. His solution is to have a greater fear of the Lord. Now, oftentimes we think about God as a God of grace and a God of mercy, and we think of the, the love we have for God, but Jesus here is talking also about recognizing His power. He says, they can kill your body. And, yeah, hey, look, I'm kind of prone to liking my body. I understand that's the threat. But he says, but remember, God kills both the body and soul in hell. God has a greater power. So not only is that power a greater power to punish or judge, but it's also a greater power to protect and to sustain. Whatever they do to you, the Lord can walk through it with you. Right after this verse, Jesus talks about sparrows who fall to the ground. And he says, none of them fall to the ground outside of the view of the Father. And that he cares for you much more than he does for the sparrows. Every bit of persecution, every bit of separation, every bit of insult that you go through for the name of Christ, God knows of it. And he will sustain you through it so that you may endure to the end in your telling and speaking of his name. But we must have a greater fear, a greater passion for, a greater stirring toward the things of God than the worries and the relationships around us. An illustration of this, perhaps, is when I, I lived in Scotland. I was doing my Ph.D. and uh, planting a church and pastoring there. And there was a, a little fishing village south of Aberdeen where I was pastoring and and they had a ruined castle right out on the edge of the rocks of the North Sea. It's a very impressive fortress. It was ruined, and, and it was out there, and the, the, the North Sea surrounded about three sides. And so this castle had this impressive defensive posture. The only way to get there by land was to kind of go down this one part where you have to go down the rocks. It was kind of rocky steps, if you would, and it would come back up to the castle. And so people in the castle could just like blast you with stuff as you're trying to come up. Uh, but there's, there was a bit of a legend story that goes that William Wallace, you know, of, of Braveheart fame, at one time there was an English uh, garrison, some soldiers there that had taken the castle and that by night, William Wallace and his men came along this one little outcropping of rocks that kind of juts out from the main port, part out to one edge of the castle wall. And, and this narrow little strip of rocks, apparently at night, they worked their way across that, a small group of soldiers, took the castle gate, opened it up for others to come in, and they retook the castle. So what should I do as an American PhD student, church planter there in Scotland? What should I do? But of course, try to recreate that William Wallace moment. So I thought, okay, this would be a good idea to try to walk, you know, walk my way across that little ledge out to the edge of the castle. I thought, well, It'd be great. And so my friend of mine, we were out there and we we're going to work our way. What, I, what looked like to be about this wide from down below seemed about this wide once I got up there. Because it was about a 40 to 50 foot drop to the rocks on this side and about an 80 or 100 foot rock to, uh, drop to the North Sea on this side. So as I started 
to, to walk out. I took about one or two steps, and then I said, I think I'm going to crawl. And I did about two crawls, and I said, I think I'm going to scoot. And so as I'm scooting, I'm thinking, man, I'm just like Wallace. And I was like, no, this is not like Wallace. I don't think they scooted. There's the, the whole kilt thing. But anyway, uh, so I, just, I don't think that's what's going on with Wallace. In this so, but I'm, I'm scooting across this, and I'm looking down on both sides, and there's this fear, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I've been married three years. My, my wife's about to be a widow because I'm going to fall to my death. This is crazy. And, and, and my thought was, I just need to just figure out a way to turn around and go back. But you know why I didn't? Well, because my friend was there and he was ahead of me. <laughs> and if he makes it all the way across to the wall and I turn around and go back, can you imagine the ridicule, the greater fear of being made fun of kept me going even though I was deathly afraid of falling to my death. Now, that isn't necessarily the wisest balance of fears, by the way. But Jesus is getting at the same point here. All the things that he's described are genuine fears that could cause us to be silent. But he wants us to have a greater fear of disappointing God, a greater fear of bringing shame to his name, a greater fear of not having that moment of being able to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has won us from our sin to freedom in him. And that greater fear can cause us to speak instead of being silent. I'm going to close this morning by asking you some questions. I'm going to put them on the, the screen here. I'd like for you just to kind of think through with me as we think through these questions. Let me ask you, what kind of persecution have you faced because of your faith? For some, it may be very little. Others, maybe a little more. You say, yeah, I tried to make a stand and I lost a job. Or I, I lost an account because I wasn't willing to do this or that because of my Christian faith. Have you, have you lost that job? Have you not been able to advance? These are part of the things that you've lost. Is there something that's caused you to be insulted by coworkers or teammates or whatever along the way, neighbors? Has that fear of reprisal silenced you? Uh, that fear of, of, of risking something here, does that cause you to be silent? Or, or secondly, let me ask you another question. Has the, gospel, has the gospel created a rift in your family relationships? Are you afraid of speaking about Christ because you may lose a friendship, you may lose a relationship. If so, that, that fear of loss, is that causing you to be silent? Not speaking to that friend about Christ? Not speaking to that family member about Christ? Third, do you, do you have a fear of being weird? Have insults been enough 
to silence you? Are, are you like me in that? That it doesn't, the evil one doesn't have to use persecution. You see, remember, the evil one is not just about me losing goods. The evil one is not just about me losing relationships. The evil one is not just about mocking me. The evil one wants me to be quiet. Is the only tool he needs to use to get me to be quiet? It's a little insult or the potential of one. How about you? Do you have a fear of being insulted that's caused you to be silent? And finally, let me ask you, which is greater, your fear of man or your fear of God? Which is greater? Would you pray with me? As we're about to pray, if you have, have known the call of the gospel and one of the things that's kept you is you're, you're, you're afraid to even commit to Christ in the first place. You, you recognize, hey, if, if I surrender to Christ, this, Jason, the things that you've been talking about, exactly. I may lose this friendship. Everyone that I know may ostracize me. I'm afraid if I follow Christ that I might lose. I can't promise you that won't happen. Jesus says that he who is willing to lose his life for my sake will find it. Would you want to come, surrender to Christ, and let him provide for you all that you need? Let him restore to you relationships, bring you forgiveness of sins and new life? Or maybe this morning you're a believer. But fear has caused you to be silent. Jesus is encouraging us as his disciples. Yeah, the persecution we face is real. The, the separation relationships we feel is real. The, the fear of insult, that's all real. But there is also a real God who calls you to say, just as a psalmist, Psalm 51, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. And, and maybe that's the prayer you need to pray this morning. Lord, open my lips. Lord, develop within me a greater passion for you than the passion of fear. Dear God, we thank you that we can come to you. We can consider your word. And even when it challenges us in this very hard things, Lord, to be bold for the gospel. Recognize that there are very real fears around us, but we also serve a very real God who can overcome those things in us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to risk the ridicule, the insults, the separation. Lord Jesus, you were willing to risk the persecution even to your own death on the cross for our sake. Lord, help us, servants, to be like our master. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.